Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 101. Um, This is part of our Elements series which we're running for the whole of 2021 where we're basing each of the conversations on an element of craft. So at the moment we are looking at point. Um, For some contrarian reason I have not called this point of view. Um, I think I've got a bit of a hang up about how we privilege sight when we're talking about these things Um, but I am very interested in those ideas of um, where a story is told from um, and sort of the consciousness that tells it and narrative um, kind of tricks that happen around that. So in this episode on point I'm talking to Emma Hislop um, about Daisy Johnson's short story The Hunt um, which is part of The Scattering which is a story in three parts and is published in Johnson's amazing collection Fen. Um, I'm very grateful to Emma for introducing me to Daisy Johnson's work. Um, I love this short story collection. I also love Sisters which is a novel by Daisy Johnson. I just I just think she's an astounding writer and yeah I really love her and um, this is one of the great things about friends they often recommend amazing books. Um, Emma is a very close friend of mine Um, we talk most days um, which makes me doubly grateful that she was willing to record a podcast. Um, Yeah I had a great time talking to her and yeah I really hope you enjoy um, the the chat we have. Um, I just need to also thank Copyright Licensing New Zealand um, who have partially funded the Element series and I'm very grateful for that. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Emma, how are you? Hi Pip, I'm well, how are you? I'm really good. It's nice to um, see you virtually over the Zoom image. It is. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Hey, so thanks heaps for coming. Um, We are going to have a conversation today about The Hunt, which is a short story that appears in Daisy Johnson's Fen. But before we do that, I was just wondering if you would be interested in introducing yourself, however you'd like to do that. Sure. Uh, ko waio, uh, ko kaitahu te iwi, ko Emma Hislopa aho, ko she, her, ian uh, pronouns. Um, I write short fiction and I lived in uh, Wellington for a long time and I live in Taranaki now with my partner and child. And awesome. I'd just like to mihi to you, Pip, for the, for the Better Off Red podcast because they are such an awesome thing and such a gift and I get so much from them. So thanks. Oh man, cheers mate. Thanks heaps. Um, um, So today we are going to talk about this short story and I just wonder if we could start, um, usually the first question I ask is I ask the other person to sort of describe what they've chosen and I don't know if you want to give a broad overview of the story or yeah if you could just do that and then we'll talk a little bit about maybe why you chose the story. Yeah, Sure. Um, So I chose The Hunt, and The Hunt is part of a three-part short story in Fen. And um, Fen is a collection of short fiction by British writer Daisy Johnson. Um, And I was trying to think about how I came across Fen, um, but I remember reading somewhere about Daisy Johnson and that she loved um, the bone people. Mm. And um, she described the bone people as 
quite a difficult story and said that she loved difficult stories. And um, that's what got me to order Fen because I love difficult stories as well. Um, and she was also, Daisy Johnson was also one of the youngest people ever shortlisted for the booker with her novel that came after this collection, which is called Everything Under. Um, and she lives in Oxford in uh, England and I lived in Oxford for a number of years. So um, I was interested in that too, I guess. But this particular story, um, oh, I could have chosen any story from this <laughs> entire collection, to be honest. Like I, um, I almost wanted to have the, the whole book as my object because I just um, adore this collection. The Hunt is interesting in that it's in three parts. Um, and it's about a family who, um, there are twin brothers, Marco and Arch, and Matilda is their little sister. Um, and something happens to one of the boys. The, I, I just love how throughout this book, childhood is kind of described in this wonderful way. Um, yeah, we can probably talk about that a bit later, but anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to say about the object. Yeah, I think um, that's so interesting the way that you're describing the story because in a way, um, what happens is slightly ambiguous, if you know, or very ambiguous, or on a scale of ambiguity, depending on how you read it. And I feel like this book has a very special relationship with point of view, with sort of like who knows what when kind of. And I just wonder how you feel about the how the relationship between this object and how it uses point of view. Um, I think, well, it sort of blew my mind quite recently when we were having a conversation about point of view, because as you know, it's something I kind of grapple with a lot in my own writing and I'm fascinated with. But um, in this, like in terms of, who knows what when I think this is I'm glad you said am, ambiguous because I have kind of grappled with this story like at the start of it I really think that it's a wide lens mm -hmm. um, like it's where are we I just um, maybe if I just read the beginning bit the hunt at the wake people talked without reserve Nobody much believed Marco. Some said it was an accident, Arch slipping and falling, Marco making up a story out of grief or madness. Others disagreed. Everybody had seen, seen them as children out wrestling in the road, ignoring the cars, and older, bleeding before they'd barely begun, fighting with a sort of joy, a play fight out of control, someone said. So I think that seems to be quite a wide lens. Like the narrator is... Is, is, is not one of the, the, the characters in the story. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think I love the way you pointed that out because, yeah, it, it seems to, it's not like the, the point of view seems to shift in between a wider point of view and a closer point of view. And yeah. there's this masterful control of it where you sort of don't notice that. Like you're not jolted out, are you? No, not at all. And then I, th I feel like after that, it becomes a bit later on because it, then it says later, it says later when she went up to the bedroom, mm. Marco was there on the bed, both hands under his head, muddy boots on the duvet. 
what are you doing in here? He shrugged. Maddie, Maddie, he said, as if it only just realized on her being a living thing at all. See, and that's Maddie's point of view, isn't it? Yeah, completely. Like, and I think that what's interesting there is like, um, and I think, you know, I was noticing it when I was reading some of your stories yesterday, is that sometimes I have this misunderstanding of the ability to go from a wide shot. So I always talk in cinema terms, but to go from a wide shot to um, a character, you know, and it's one of my favorite, favorite things in a film when you start with like the shot of everybody and then suddenly you just pick someone off and like move with them. And I think that's something that this is doing, you know, like it, it sort of sets the scene and then very carefully kind of, um, you know, zooms right into Maddie, doesn't it? That's, uh, that's so clever. I just, I really want to learn how to do that. I think you already do like I think that there's immensely good control of um point of view in a lot of your stories you know like just um yeah I think and I think that there's what I really love about the way you think about it and like when we've talked about the story in your writing is this um sort of thinking of it as a tool rather than you know and, and trying to work out how the mechanism of it works which I think is really interesting right it just blows my mind though just even that thing of being able to zoom in and out with point of view like I actually don't know if I've thought of it like that before like exactly like that before like I I, I feel like I'm all like I'm obsessed with the close point of view like I feel like I'm always trying to get as close to the characters in the story as I can but I've never really thought about that that it's possible to zoom in or, in or out you know <laughs> I remember I remember um I I used to I went to film school and we would sometimes edit it, you know I, I spent a bit of time editing things and there were all these really cool rules about how um you would always try and edit on someone moving you know if you were going from a big shot to a small shot yes, you might yeah. wait till they moved you know so that the action would control the um thing and like you know like Maddie leaving the big the wake kind of you know it, it does that same job it like gives us a reason to zoom in on her which I think is really interesting because I think what's really interesting is to look and see when it doesn't work sometimes. And I think that can be helpful, but yeah, because we're like, you've sort of answered this, but like when you imagine the um, point of view, do you imagine that kind of in space? Like maybe even when you're writing your own writing, do you think of what you can see as a view or do you think of what you can see as the story being told or how do you where do you think the narrator of the story is like is it a physical presence or yeah I was just thinking about is it as is this as simple as the character leaving a party for example and going out onto a field and then it's not that simple is it I think it might be like maybe it is I don't know is it, is it actually right down to what the character can see Maybe, yeah. You see, I think that is a really interesting kind of mind-blowing thing, you know, like, um, you know, and I guess in amongst that, like, we're often, like, the thing that I often find interesting about these close thirds, which I think both you and I are interested in, is, like, 
that also there's some access to thoughts as well. Like there are some heads you can be inside and some heads you can't be inside, eh? Yeah, totally. And that I just, I yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm obsessed with this stuff and I don't know enough about it. <laughs> like I'm always trying to, trying to be better at it than I am, you know. And if I, I, I have this idea that if I could just master this, <laughs> I would be a much better writer. <laughs> I, I feel the same way, but I also... I, this is just a dumb idea, but I always feel like if I mastered it, I wouldn't be as good a writer. <laughs> like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the like grappling I, of it is part of it, right? Or the, the wrestle with it. I really think that's true. Like, I really think that if, if the work's not being done, then I think it just, yeah, it kind of just unloads and you know, yeah. I don't know. Like you talk about low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, low hanging fruit. Yeah, I'm just gonna do this. I love. I'm do this. I was thinking about this story of yours called the game, um, and I'll link to it on the website. And in that, we're very close to one person, and they. It's it really is about secrets. You know, it's it's kind of, and I think sometimes a lot of your work is about people reacting to a situation with not all the information you know um you know and like acting in a way that would be logical if what they believed was true but what they believe you know there's a certain piece of information that's missing mm. and I was thinking Matty in a way has got this interesting thing where the family is kind of um distant and she's not given all information and she kind of does make up the story around the events. And I'm just wondering, like, is this something when you're writing, do you consciously think about what your point of view character knows? Or yeah, is, is it something that you feel like it feels right? Or how do you deal with um, like revelation of information and holding back of information? Yeah, I think it it's an interesting question. I think um, I think probably that's what I'm most interested in other than point of view. <laughs> you know, it's like what people or what the characters sort of re revealing the information. Mm. Um, and for a, for a while, for quite a while, I thought when I was writing stories, I sort of liked there to be, because um, I, I always, I've only written short fiction and I always, sort of felt like there needed to be some sort of reveal or surprise in in the story but but lately I've been working with giving the reader all the information straight off the bat sort of and then going into the story if that makes any sense mm, mm. as a different sort of way like I think I read something by Sally Rooney lately um I'm not sure if it was an excerpt from her new novel coming out or a short story, but it was just like she just laid it all out for the reader straight away, and it and it did this completely different different thing, you know. And I thought rather than reading something trying to sort of wait for the reveal or the surprise, what happens if the reader's given all the facts? whether they're true facts or not, you know, all the information straight away. Man, I so love that idea. Because I think, I think, like, what you're talking about is just such a great exercise, you know, because I think often when I think of the short stories that I like and, like, when I think about, like, 
origin story, you know, like sort of short stories that I think are, you know, exemplars. That twist is something that I always think, you know what I mean? Like that, ba, 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 yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, um, you know, uh, people have talked about it, you know, um, as the epiphany moment. And I think that it is such a different rhythm when you do that. How have you found writing doing that? Like, wh- what is it? What, what does it feel like to give all that information? Like, where do you get your, you know, where do you get the um, sort of rising? Are you, are you as concerned with rising tension in a story like that? Or, yeah. Um, I feel like it's a, you sort of like, it's a whole different drive. Like once, like this thing I'm working on at the moment, if I've given sort of as much information as I can in the sort of first scene and then, and then I'm like still writing into it, but rather than trying to figure out, you know, where, where the, like to build the tension and where the reveal might come, it's like, it's a whole different sort of framework or skeleton to work on. Mm, I don't mm. know. I like it. It's, it's sort of pushing me, pushing the writing in different directions, which is quite good. I think at this sort of stage late, <laughs> feels like a late <laughs> stage of things. And it's such, um, I think, I don't know, like, it, it's so interesting when you do that, eh? Like, it's like, um, I don't know, anytime I've got a winning formula, I'm like, oh, I have to break it. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It feels like a constraint to put on yourself, you know? Yeah, completely, completely. And the other thing that I'm, I've cons- put a constraint on is that I have to um, keep everybody in the room. <laughs> because <laughs> I think I might have even been you who said there are quite a lot of people in your stories that are, um, go for a walk at the end you know <laughs> and it's so true I started thinking about it I was like god things get hard and someone goes for a walk you know I think you know this is another thing around point of view isn't it you know like um, you know like I do feel like if you've well I don't know this is I don't and I always hate it when I say I think because I always, I don't think universals are true, but I think, you know, often you do want to make people's lives more and more difficult, you know, <laughs> which sounds terrible, but like just that facing of things, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. avoidance is fun to a certain point, but eventually, yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, this is one of the things that I just like adore about the story is the fox in the room do you know what I mean like there's no escaping you know I I, we're going to talk about spoilers I'm sorry but you know once the fox is caught and it's not your city fox it's like proper big thin fox um Mm -hmm. um Maddie catches a fox she takes it to her room it is in the room it is shitting all over the room it won't eat anything that isn't alive and like those scenes are just so yeah, like there's that wonderful relationship between, I don't know what you were thinking. I'd be interested to hear what you're thinking, but I was kind of like, oh my God, just let the fox go. And yeah, yeah. when the character does the wrong thing, often it's really, really good, eh? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so, you feel suffocated reading that, you know? Well, I did. I was just like, yeah, exactly. Let the let the bloody animal go. But, um, and and I love this bit. Food was a problem. Sometimes she caught her mother in front of the fridge, face lit yellow, looking in at the emptiness. 
Marco, staying on to keep them company, sat on the sofa and ate pot noodles. She tried it on cat food. It would have none of that. Ignored, too, the leftovers she smuggled up. There was a flow of dinners deposited on their doorstep. Nobody ever knocked. This was a place where people understood the possibility of bad luck being passed on and kept clear. So I feel like there's this whole, you know, we've got the kind of issue of the, or the problem of the fox in the bedroom, <laughs> but also we've got this, you know, this greater kind of grief and trauma happening that, that um, you know, this kid's dead and the community are kind of, you know, wondering what the hell's happened and treating them with some kind of, I don't know, suspicion it feels like. And like that, the that passage you read is just it just shows how great the story is, and all of like I love Daisy Johnson's writing as well. And thank you for introducing me to her. Um, but like that weaving in of the immediate problem and the bigger, you know, like food was a problem. Like yes, we're talking about the fox and food. Then we see the mother at the refrigerator. Then we see Marco eating pot noodles. Then we're back to the cat food. You know, like it's just um, so, yeah, it's it so, just oh, you go. No, no, I was just, it's, it's, yeah, thanks for po pointing that out too. I just, she's, um, she's good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, we could, I think that could be an entire um, description of the story is she's good, eh? Um, but yeah, and I think um, I just, yeah, the, this kind of weaving in would now be a good time to talk about how she writes about youth, you know, like um, Matty feels like she's, you know, like I, I have a bit of an aversion to anything that is around that coming of age kind of age, but there's something yeah. so wonderful happening here and happening about the sort of, will you escape the town or will you not escape the town? All that sort of stuff. Do you just want to, you, like you alluded to how she writes um, children and young people. And I just wonder, yeah, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Now? Cause I also have that aversion to sort of coming of age stories. Um, and you know, to the point that I avoid them at all costs. But this, um, I don't know, Daisy Johnson has this sort of ability to make things timeless. And I know we've talked a little bit about that before. Like, I don't know. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of the youth, it's almost like, because there are a lot of young people in her stories. Um, and she's, I mean, she's probably not even 30 yet. So she's a young person herself. But um, I do, like, she often seems to write about teenagers. And um, I don't quite know how to put my finger on or describe why it's so good. But I think it is something to do with that timeless quality. Um, and there are a few, like, this, all these stories in this collection take place in the Fens, which is a, um, a landscape in Britain, like a kind of a flat, uh, old flooded um, bit of land. Um, and yeah, I don't really know. I feel, have you got any thoughts on that, Pip? Yeah, I just, I have been like scouring this to try and work out how she does it because I think you're right. I think the thing that is interesting to me about why I'm interested in these teenagers and possibly not other teenagers that I've read about is that there is something um like there's obviously the tension of the 
the life they find themselves in you know there's a lot of um drinking um there's a lot of sort of fights you know like it, it yeah so yeah. there's that kind of teenage stuff that I'm interested in but I think you're right there's something um I hate using this word and I don't <laughs> I'm trying to I've been trying to grasp for another word but yeah, it almost seems to be taking place. I was going to say fairy tale like, and I don't like that word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let myself say that and then just forget yeah. about it. But they seem to take place in this really odd liminal time that's kind of outside of time. And you know, you and I have talked about, you know, in this story, there's, I, I could only find one detail that was like very time stampy. And that was, they mentioned going to the gap. Like it's just an offhand thing that, you know, going to town means going to the gap. So, um, you know, I think people have cell phones. I can't remember, you know, like it's not like it's this conscious thing to make it timeless, but there's something about it which feels um, potent. Like anything could happen, you know what totally. I mean? Totally. Like it's, the, it's like the wild is just there, right? You know, like it's really close at hand it's kind of I don't know I feel like at any moment there could be something huge happening yeah I like that word the wild I reckon you hit the nail on the head with that and especially with this story where there are questions of transformation you know like the the um the brother goes out at night um he returns in secret um he fights um and then there's this thought that maybe he's trans, I don't know. Oh gosh, I'm about to say something and I don't know, uh, you might <laughs> laugh at me, but you know, I got the sense that there is a, there's a definite, uh, there's a definite available reading in the story that he is transforming into a fox, yeah. fighting with fox, is a fox. The fox has come for him and take him. It wasn't an accident. And this is why Matty, you know, like, steals the fox takes the fox home because she believes it's her brother you know yeah. and I just I don't know like that to me is extremely exciting to be able to do that on the one hand and on the other hand it feels extremely real extremely contemporary that's it I think that's yeah, I don't know. exactly it you've nailed it is that they're, they're real people living their real lives and yet it feels like this wild kind of playland where shit can happen and does all the time you know mm -hmm. yeah and and it just yeah and and I think I remember thinking this um with um with Carl's book Anti-Lebanon that thing where every time there's the availability of the supernatural it makes the natural more natural more sur you know like very super real you know like there's kind of this weird thing where um you know, I can smell the fire and I can see the booze and I can feel yeah. the smack on the face and I can, you know, all those things are just, yeah, it's almost like it has this like ringing effect, like echoing off each other. That's it. That's pretty and also awesome. In terms of like adolescence, <laughs> I think she writes like both the beauty and, and the horror of it, you know, mm. Um, mm. so, so well. I don't know what being a teenager for you was like, but it's kind of like a mixed, very mixed bag from, from where I was standing. And such a confusing time. And I think, you know, like, oh God, that's the most cliche thing I can say. But, you know, it's so interesting how that is all captured and not in a way that feels, um, it's interesting. Um, oh, sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but 
recently um there's a very good tv show that i love which is called um we are who we are and i i enjoyed it a great deal and like there was a great review by sam brooks about why that works and is not a voyeuristic kind of you know what's the word i'm looking for a project and there's something about this that holds some of that you know like and i wonder if it's that timelessness you know like it enables us to embody or enables a writer to embody an age that they aren't yeah you know but in a way that feels respectful and yeah i don't know yeah yeah and i've realized too that um I often write about young women, like, <laughs> it's so weird. And I was thinking the other day, is it getting weird now that I'm kind of getting older and you know, maybe I should be writing about women my own age? Uh, but, yeah, I don't know what it, it attracts me to to writing about younger people. Yeah. And I think this story shows part of that. You know, like, I, I think... I don't know, like, I think the possibilities, it's that weird, terrifying, but wonderfulness of anything is possible that happens, I think, when you're younger, I don't know, and like, maybe that continues, but I do feel like things perhaps come narrower and narrower, like, I'm probably not going to be an Olympic gymnast, (laughs) you know, all that, you know, all that wonderful sort of, um, you know, you can do whatever you want, you know, like, I think there's something, and that in itself is an interesting thing to write about, you know, I I think, you know, in itself, it's it's, it's quite interesting, yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I ask, this is a very, um, I don't know, like, talking about these things that are in the book and out of the, out of the world of the book, um, there is, there are, I don't know, like, I was really interested to see, um, like, this, this story talks about, January Hargraves and Mm. you know January Hargraves movies and um this is sort of a fictional genre of movies (laughs) and movie star that's sort of been made up as well and you were talking a little bit that the pub reappears in some of her writing as well yes yeah which I don't think I actually realized even though I've read read and read the book um I I think I read that in an interview with 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 Daisy Johnson saying that certain things appear um, throughout the book, like the pub in the stories is the same pub, uh, and there's a bar a bar made in one of the stories um, behind the bar, and then in another story, it, the story is told from her point of view, and I I loved that. I've never I've never sort of liked the idea particularly of having linked short stories in a collection, but I this really appealed to me that. that um, the idea of having some sort of connective tissue between them rather than mm. them being directly linked. Mm. I've got a question. I haven't prepped you for this question, so you don't need to answer it, but I'm just thinking about, I'm, I'm always interested in this and what happens to short stories when you put them all together in one place. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, And I'm thinking particularly about, you know, like the way at the moment you're sort of looking at, you know, a lot of, short stories that you've written um sort of looking at them as one kind of thing and I'm just wondering how are you noticing anything interesting about how they're talking to each other as opposed to sort of sending a single short story out for publication or something like that yeah it's been interesting lately to start looking at the um 
you know the whole the whole work rather than singular stories it's quite a different thing and obviously there are there's I think there is connective tissue between my stories quite a lot of the time you know just even in that they're all about women but um yeah it's 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 got me thinking about the ways in which they might sort of connect up mm. definitely and- and did you, I'm wondering even at something as simple as with this collection, like do you, when you get a short story collection, because I think you've just got Brendan Taylor's collection this morning as well. Um, do you, are you someone who will read from beginning to end or uh, do you dip in and out or how do you read a short story collection? Uh, I read it in the order usually. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I heard, I, I have, I just got Brandon Taylor's book. Um this morning thank you unity auckland because i (laughs) had such a nightmare getting this book and i cancelled it from two other places and got refund and stuff and i don't buy books often because i can't afford to but i've been wanting this book i love brandon taylor (laughs) and this um his collection's called called filthy animals um and i read his entire collection yesterday in the order that he's put it in yeah, and his is interesting too, and in that um, half the stories are connected and about the same characters, and half are not. And he's done it; he's staggered them, so he's got sort of um, the connected one, and then the not connected one, and then the connected. One. So there's a space in between each of the connected stories with a connection that's not a story that's not connected, and it seemed quite odd when I heard him. Um, talk about it in an interview lately but he he described it as the connected stories needing to have a bit of space around them and it completely made sense when I read it yesterday I am yeah I loved it it was just like a bit of kind of breathing room one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is is why why the short story like what is it about the short story that you love so much you know like some of these things and I think what I'm loving when you're talking about these things is I still see a very distinct difference between a short story collection and a novel, you know, like these things you're talking about, like this connected tissue, it's only, it's only appealing to me because it maintains its short storyness, if you know what I mean. And I'm just wondering, what is it about the short story that, that you like so much? Oh, I, um, I think I write short stories because they're the only thing that I kind of know how to write, <laughs> even though I've still got a lot to learn about them. But I do love the form. It's it's kind of um, like I have no experience of writing anything else, so I can't really comment on other things. But it's that kind of unsettling territory, maybe. Like I, um, I feel like I'm always trying to figure something out and I'm addicted to that feeling of writing into the dark and um, until some sort of shape starts to appear and then eventually that will become the story, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's it's the unsettling territory of the form maybe that I'm, I don't know, I just, I'm addicted to writing them, but I hope I can like stop soon because <laughs> I've got to do some other things as well. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, this idea of sort of the un, unsettling nature of it and the fact that you're, you know, writing into the dark. 
it occurs to me that um, like you're often also switching point of view. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you may still be at the same distance to a character, but the character is different, if you know what I mean. And I'm wondering if point of view is something you think about, like obviously it is, like you've talked a lot about that, but I, I don't know, like this is such a hard thing to ask because I do feel like writing is really automatic. But let's say when you're redrafting a story, do things, does the point of view just sometimes feel like it's not right? Or what sort of things are you looking out for when you're revising something as far as point of view goes? Um, this is another thing where I think if I was better at it, I would be faster because <laughs> it takes me ages. Redrafting is like, you know, I kind of love it and hate it simultaneously. Um, but I think, yeah, often... I can tell fairly quickly now if the point of view is wrong or not. Um, yeah, but sometimes it's a case of what does this person know um, in relation to the other characters in the story. Um, yeah, I'm not explaining that very well, sorry, but I think I think it's I think it's to do with I definitely know if it's not working, but I'm not necessarily very good at getting it to work. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> and like, how do you choose who's the character you go close to? Like when you think about a story, do you automatically think, oh yeah, I, I want to be with this person throughout the story? Or I'm thinking particularly of um, Sleeping Lions you know, which is a story which I don't think has been published anywhere else. But in the first draft of that I read, um, we were sort of in two characters' point of view. And I think that you've shifted it to be more in one character's point of view. Like yeah. when you think of a situation, like, I mean, this also, if you could talk anything about where ideas come from, like where you suddenly think this is ripe for a short story. And then just then do you, how do you decide which point of view to tell that story from? Yeah, I often, the ideas come, a lot of the um, really early stories started like in 2013 when I was doing the MA at the IIML, but those stories, a lot of those stories started with just like a kernel of something that was true and then, um, and then sort of lifted off into complete fiction, which I think, I think Emily, Perkins once said to me that's when she thought the writing got the strongest was sort of the the air between the kernel of truth and the, and the fiction and I I've always remembered that um where that kind of energy is that sort of maybe it could be called a liminal space as well but um in terms of the sleeping lions story it I was trying to write it from switching to sort of main characters point of view but in the end it just didn't seem to make sense and it was it almost like having I couldn't get close enough to one character because <laughs> I was trying to write from two two characters point of view and I chose to go with um the woman's point of view just because I feel like I I know I know how to write from a woman's point of view better than from a man's point of view just on the pure fact that I am a woman so yeah <laughs> that's um yeah, that's where it went from. I don't know. In terms of how I 
choose sometimes I just write and the characters sort of come but then it'll be later on in a quite a late much later draft that I'll try and work out who I want to be close to mm, mm. yeah and 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 your your feedback's been invaluable with that under this mentorship that I've been lucky enough to do because sometimes you'll look at something and you'll say yeah you're you're not quite in this person's point of view or it's slipped out of this point of view now and it's this and I don't know I feel like having those things pointed out to me has been such a huge help because now I'm starting to notice it when I do it myself a bit more Mm. and I mean you know that I think I got obsessed with point of view during my EMA as well because you know a question that Damien would often ask is um you know whose story is it you know and and that I found helpful you know like I find point of view extremely confusing like I find it really confusing and I think that that's why I'm kind of interested in it probably you know because I feel like I never quite get it right and it's just it feels like such a strange um it's such I think it's one of the funniest or the weirdest things we do as a writer you know like we we try and these characters don't exist right you know I remember seeing Corey Doctorow talking about how the yogurt that he ate for breakfast has more life in it than the characters you know like not saying that he's not saying that his characters have no life when you read them but and if you take a reality check you know these people don't exist and then we try and get inside their skin and try to you know like read their minds sometimes that dawns on me too like I'll be sitting there you know and I'll just think oh I'll be writing some terrible dialogue or you know which I try and avoid at all costs and you're always saying I think we need some people talking here you know because it's like I that's the other thing about Daisy Johnson is that there's not a lot of dialogue you know and I I love that it's used very sparingly but um yeah I'm not yeah I don't know and and it's interesting to hear you say that you find point of view hard because it just seems so seamless in your work like I remember sitting down to read I was reading the first page of Nothing to See and I remember sitting there thinking, she's done it again. <laughs> you know, like, how the hell do you do this? <laughs> it's so, it's, it's, it's a comfort to me, Pip, to hear that you find it um, challenging. I just really think what you said before is so true. Like the challenge, it makes things better for me you know what I mean like you know occasionally I've I've written things and I thought oh man I'm on fire (laughs) this is working and then I read back over it and it just yeah I just think and I'm not I'm not advocating you know like everything should be a struggle I'm just saying that I think the fun of it you know like kind of like you know when I was a kid I used to play tennis and you know like hitting more and more difficult you know balls over the the um the net was exciting you know yeah I I think it's it's similar with this it's really similar with this Um, I love that that's so encouraging I'm going to hold on to that for the next month or so (laughs) Um, it's supposed to be a struggle (laughs) (laughs) that um thing you said um that thing you were talking about like kernel of truth and then jumping off um Mm -hmm. Again, in this story, there is that really interesting ambiguity around um, 
yeah, around, you know, like it is, is Archer Fox, you know, and I just think um, one of the things that I think is really interesting in there is that, um, you know, that the, the, the myth, I, I don't really like that word, but, you know, this, this story that is possibly not the world as we experience, or maybe we do experience it, but, you know, this idea that um, sometimes, like the story about Arch being a fox makes perfect emotional sense, if you know what I mean. And I'm just yeah. wondering about, yeah, like I just think she does something awesome in these stories about how the truth isn't fully settled, if you know what I mean. That's Do you have so any weird. thoughts on that in her work? And I think also Sisters is a little bit like that as well. Yes, that's so true about the emotional truth of things. I think that's that's what she does so well also. Um, yeah, because it's like, I don't know. I, I don't really even think about the fact that it's weird that, um, you know, Arch might have turned into a fox uh, you know it, it just seems so um it's like yeah the emotional truth of the thing is is just what would happen you know whereas sometimes like I, I I would normally kind of as a rule shy away from kind of magical realism type things although having said that I do love Kelly Link's work and people mm, like there's mm. and Karen Russell's Karen oh Karen Russell um I don't know if they would describe their work as magic realism but there's that wonderful Karen Russell story where um, she has to go and breastfeed the devil every night. Have you read that, Pip? Yeah. Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> Orange World, that's what it's called. Oh, um, and that in, in the same way, I'm, you know, I, I, I read that and I, it's not like I'm thinking this is bizarre that she's leaving her baby and going out in the night to, you know, kneel down to the gutter, guttering and breastfeed the devil. It's just what she's doing because it's the emotional truth of the thing you know mm. um that sounds very odd now I've said it out loud I know but I don't think it is like I'm thinking more and more about how um like my big thing when I first started writing was about simulcrum you know like I want I want the written word to reflect the real world perfectly you know that what was that word thing. you said simulcrum simulcrum I think I've used it wrong but I think what it means is that you build an exact replica but like more and more I'm thinking like um, writing isn't made of the same material as the real world. So like um, maybe we use the materials of writing to make the exact copy of the real world. And that's, and you know, recently I, I just read this amazing book um, where, um, you know, the, the main character uses this idea there's an attack of killer bees when this um character is young and the killer bees return they sort of nest themselves inside her and as she moves around the world those are there and I was just thinking this tells such a better story of trauma perhaps than trying to replicate the trauma in events which feels like part of the material that the world's made out of and I just think you know, like I was just in that story I was reading of yours yesterday, um, the game, there's, you know, that a chicken dies and I'm just like, oh yeah, that explains what's going on so much better than, you know, explaining and, you know, trying to repeat, you know, like repeat the, 
right yeah i don't know like yeah, yeah. i just think it's amazing yeah so that's ah, oh, that's that's uh, blown my mind a bit and and that you can i mean i guess it's kind of symbols right like yeah yeah um which i guess yeah i've never even thought of it like that but that's right and i mean that is kind of almost like magic magical realism in another way right yeah like i think you know every now and then i sort of like because i love realism so much well yeah. i used to really really i was just like yes yes gritty realism but when i look at it you know like that's as big a fantasy world as you know whether you've got dragons or um you know um I don't know, um, the devil, um, yeah. you know, like, but what I think is interesting is that we do it even in there, you know, like if you think of even like a Carver story, you know, like yeah. everything's there to build the world and, you know, it, it's a, it's as much magic and real as it, yeah, I don't know. Oh my God. And, and also I think that's, you know, the fact that anything can happen in fiction, there's such a freedom to that, right? That like, I just wondered how you felt about your own work with regards to that, because you're, I would probably say that your, like your, your story world is completely realist and yet odd things do happen all, all the time. And I think, um, oh, you said something before that I, yeah, like I think, yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think that that idea that anything can happen, you know what I mean? Like, I just think as though the idea that really the only logic the story needs to follow is its internal logic, you know, like one of the things that I used to get very confused about is that occasionally people would say, you know, like it might be a workshop environment and someone would say, I don't believe the character did that. And the person's defense of that would be, well, that's what happened in real life. And I'd think to myself, well, why, why is it not as convincing? You know, that's the truth. So we've got capital T truth. This is what mm -hmm. happened. But in the fiction, it doesn't sound true. And I think it's around that stuff, around the logic of the story. Like, and that's why I go back to that idea of world building. You know, I, I just feel like no matter whether we're setting this in, you know, like the places where we're sitting right now, and the places that we've been, we're still building that world from scratch, I think. Mm. I don't know. Yes, and often I've, um, it's funny because I lived in, I lived in London for a long time, like 12 years or something, 10 years, 12 years. And um, when I, it, when I first started writing it, uh, in the MA year, I was, all my stories were set in London. It's funny, I, I almost needed to not be in that place to write about it, you know? Mm, mm. Um, whereas it's only been quite recently that I've, well, in the last few years, especially that I've really just wanted to write about home. I almost feel like, why would you write about anywhere else now? Which is strange. <laughs> I mean, than the place you live. And like you, um, in a lot of ways, you've got that interesting thing of um, having lived a few, like called a few different places home, eh? And yeah. like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're from the South, but you're sort of in Taranaki and you've lived in Wellington and yeah, I grew up in the far North. Yeah. And I wonder how does that affect like where you're writing about? Like, I mean, I don't know, does that affect where you're writing about? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. I think so. Uh, I think it was, it feels like it was more to do with coming home and taking it to, took a few years for things to settle in my mind to be able to write about 
being home, you know, and like the home sort of landscapes, whether that be um, down south or the far north or here in Taranaki. Mm, mm, mm. And yeah, I think, I don't know, like it's, um, and that's another thing, you know, like it's, you know, like when you write about London, it feels like a London that I imagine. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's so great. Are your stories always set here in New Zealand? Um, Mostly? No, I was just thinking, no, I think um, that was something I found really interesting last time was trying to write not in a setting, you know, like uh-huh. giving myself the freedom of not saying this is a particular place. And yeah. that was interesting. I thought it would be really untethering. Like I thought it would be like, Whoa, but it was actually fine. You know, like it, again, it kind of, that thing you're talking about distance, you know, it made me a little more brave to say, well, I'm actually in control of the world, you know, like, uh, and, yeah. Um, and yeah. Talking, and talking about nothing to see, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because people have said, oh, well, this is definitely X city or this is definitely Y city. And it's like, oh, that's interesting, you know, because I didn't have yeah. that in mind, you know. Well, that's so interesting too, following the new animals, which was so definitely Auckland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that was definitely Auckland. I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. It's bizarre, right? It's bizarre. Right? Hey, I want to talk about foxes just before we finish. Because yeah. um, you've mentioned another amazing fox story. And I was thinking about Fox 8 by George Saunders as well. Foxes. Oh, wow. tell, tell us, first of all, tell me about this other short story. Um, it's, I'm, I think it's called Mrs. Fox. I should know the title because I love the story so much. It's by um, British writer Sarah Hall, um, who is also one of my favourite short story writers. And it's about... Um, a man and a woman who are married and the woman turns into a fox and goes to live in the woods and he goes to visit her and yeah it's um it's incredible (laughs) a fox is something you would see when you lived in london yeah we had a fox that lived in our garden a three-legged fox i think she'd been hit by a car um, and she had cubs, and we used to th- throw out things like chicken carcasses and things from the flat and um, feed her, which was probably not the thing to do, really. But she was pretty, um, well, the cubs were amazing. And, but we, yeah, so you, you often see them in London. It's quite, um, quite amazing. And are they, what is your relationship? Are they scary animals? Like, would they attack people? I'm not sure. My feeling is in London, no, they wouldn't. They're kind of like acclimatized, but um, but I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know. Um, oh God, now I'm thinking about another Sarah Hall book. It's a it's a novel though about um the reintroduction of um wolves into Britain. <gasps> and it's an incredible book. And I can't remember the title, but I'll um find out in let you know later because I I love that book too because again you know like that that thing you were saying before this infringement on the wild which sort of brings the wild to us kind of thing because I was always very confused by foxes like I don't like I was always like are they like dogs are they like you know I don't understand them you know and I was just imagining like whether the thought and recently um 
Nina Mignapol's had a beautiful photo of some foxes that live in her garden. And I was like, is that a scary thing? Like, yeah, but obviously not. (laughs) No, the one in our garden wasn't. But having said that, she didn't, she wasn't like, you know, she she wouldn't come up and eat out of our hand or anything. She was wary of us. And I guess we were kind of respectful and a little bit wary of her too, particularly with her cubs around. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I mean, like you and I have talked about how much we hate rats. And I was thinking, yeah. this aren't like rats. <laughs> <laughs> Not like rats. <laughs> oh, now I want a fox. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I just, oh my gosh. Sometimes it's hard living in New Zealand with no mammals except for the rats <laughs> damn rats it's wild oh my god yeah, yeah maybe we can could I, yeah swap I, I would swap rats for foxes um I just want to finish with one question I said that was my last question but I just have one more question um one of the interesting things if we can sort of move out from the hunt as an individual story it sits in this sort of um like triptych of three stories Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because it sort of starts with the end, if you know what I mean. Like we start yeah. with Matty letting the fox go. I think it even says something like when it was all over or something. And then we, so you get this kind of interesting kind of circular feeling to it. Like when you get to the end, the beginnings explained kind of. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if you've got any thoughts around like, like that this kind of, structural point of view where at the start Maddie knows everything that's happened and we know nothing that's happened I don't know have you got any thoughts on that yeah I think it's so cleverly done and I found myself wondering if um it had been a later decision from Daisy Johnson to sort of re-jig things um just because it's so I don't know, it seems to make perfect sense in this sort of back-to-front order to me. Um, but, yeah, in terms of what, like, Maddie does know the whole way through what's happened, and even at the end, we're still not entirely sure. Do you think the fox at the end says, you remember the stories? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, talk about control of narrative point of view, eh? Like, that, that's not attributed, that speech, is it? No. Yeah. Cause I was rereading it last night and just thinking, holy shit. Like, cause I, in my mind, I was like, oh, the fox said it. And then almost by not attributing it, both things are true at the same time. The fox did say it and didn't say it. Eh? What do you think? Oh, I just think, yeah, I don't know. I think we're just left kind of dangling in that wonderful <laughs> like space. And it's also what um, she does so well with her latest book, Sisters, mm. when, you know, there is that kind of reveal a part way through the book about what's happened and all of that. It's just so well executed. Is it an important thing for you? Like, I suppose it varies in a short story, but are you concerned about, you know, like that feels like a decision, the decision not to attribute that dialogue seems like a decision that really hands over control of the story to the reader. You know, like it, it's almost like, you know, the writer has taken their hands off the wheel and you decide. Do yeah. you, are you often thinking about, um, you know, what you want the reader to understand and what you're happy for them to decide themselves kind of stuff? I 
am not so much. I'm more just thinking about the story and mm -hmm. making it true to itself, whatever that kind of shape is. And I love, I sort of almost feel like once the story's done and if there are, if it's, for example, if it's published and then there are readers and that's a whole different business in a way. Mm. Like what, um, yeah, I, I, although I would probably be interested to know what readers made of the stories I write or wrote, perhaps, I'm not sure. I just, um, yeah, I guess you can never really know that, right? Because people are always going to bring different things to the reading experience than you are do you have any thoughts on that Pip? oh just I just think I just think I really love that idea that the reading is a creative act as well you know like and yeah. that's why I love the rise of like book clubs and things like this because the conversation about the book also is a creative act and it you know the the work takes on a life of its own in a way eh? like I was just thinking you know I was just actually thinking like how strange to write this story in Oxford and then to affect people across the other side of the world, you know, who, um, me, who has never seen a fox thinking about, you know, like, I, I, know. Just, I wonder if Daisy Johnson will ever listen to this podcast because, you know, she, she recently had a baby and I keep thinking, oh, I remember how, how intense it all is those early days, you know. Yeah, it's pretty full on. It's pretty full on. Oh my goodness. I so enjoyed talking to you. And I love, what I really love is um, just like what I think I've heard from you and I will give you the right of reply in case I misunderstood, but like is because you are sort of in the process of revision at the moment, I just, I really, I always used to think that I had to write and get it right the first time, but I love the way that you're thinking about some problems being second or third draft problems rather than being first draft problems. I don't know. Are you, are you enjoying the revision process at all or is it, is it just, it feels, it feels hard to see it at the moment because you're right in the depth of it? Oh, no, I am really enjoying it. I am, um, I made myself sit down and read the sort of all of the work the other day and I, 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 I felt okay, although it might um, have been different if I'd read it on a different day, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I am enjoying it. It sometimes feels like, um yeah the, the the nitty gritty of it kind of you know but just getting it as good as I can get it before something else happens to it <laughs> yeah exactly I don't know I, I love it I I really enjoy revision I just find it so oh, do you well just because you get to be so close and it does become quite abstract like it's like yeah. oh should I put this is this a comma or a full stop you know like those I just love that sort of stuff yeah I'll love it when I'm at that stage of the revision yeah <laughs> that is probably the easiest <laughs> oh my gosh thank you so much I really thank appreciate you, it Pip. and um yeah thanks heaps thanks heaps bye bye so um exercises I yeah so in my usual scattered way I've sort of been playing with this over the last couple of days but here we go this is my idea so in Emma's story, The Game, um, Emma does this amazing job of limiting what the point of view character knows. So um, they're sort of acting out of the knowledge that they have, but they don't have all the information. So this is my thought. Can you think of an object 
and then name three facts about that object. Now, what I wondered is if you can get three people into the room with this object, and um, then there are several options. You could either give, give each one of the people one of these three facts um, and none of the others, or you could give one of them one of the facts and the other two or three facts. So it's just playing around with who knows what in the scene. And then again, you have more options. You could simply write the dialogue they have. Um, um, perhaps each one of them wants the object, which will give you a reason for them to talk to each other. But um, you might want to write that dialogue in direct speech. The other thing you could do is um, write um, more of a um, non-dialogue piece um, and choose one of the three perspectives to write from um, and just see how they see the world with limited information. So that's my idea. Um, yeah, I hope you have fun with it. Thanks, Ace.